You're listening to Nursing Review Radio. Delirium affects a quarter of older people in hospital and has the same death rate as a heart attack, yet it is often missed or untreated by health professionals in hospitals, residential aged care facilities and the community. This concern was raised by Dr Anne-Marie Hosey, a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Technology Sydney, along with her colleagues from the University and the Prince of Wales Hospital Randwick on the most recent World Delirium Day. I recently spoke with Anne-Marie about delirium and I started off by asking why is the condition often missed by health professionals and left untreated? Well, that's a really good question about delirium because it, and there's lots of answers to that. The first reason I think that it's difficult to recognise or that we don't recognise it well is that it actually presents quite differently in different people at different times and even different parts of the day. So there's diagnostic criteria for delirium which helps us to understand how all the different ways it manifests can sort of be framed together and understood as one syndrome. Um, But those diagnostic criteria, they're not well known to clinical staff, particularly nurses, because those diagnostic criteria are within um, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual um, of the American um, Psychiatric Association. So... uh, so they're sort of been locked away a bit from nurses who, and the delirium is an interesting condition because it creates changes to people's thinking and attention and awareness, but it does, those changes happen because there's a physiological imbalance in the body. So what it means is people who are very unwell, very injured, uh, very frail due to um, older age, um, are more at risk of getting delirium will often have delirium as a result of those um, sort of physiological imbalance, but it manifests as a psychiatric sort of uh, condition. So it's quite a, I think so that's the first reason is that it's quite a complex syndrome of a whole range of different things that can happen for someone. And some patients will be very quiet and some will be very agitated and some um, patients will have hallucinations and some will not. Uh, so trying to make sense of all that uh, for different people is quite complex if you don't know that diagnostic criteria. The second, so it's, it's to do with the complexity of the condition, is to do with that framework for what it is not being readily available to people who provide the care at the bedside. And the third reason is that we don't have systematic processes in place in hospitals or in residential aged care, like a routine screening for delirium. So in some settings where things happen quite frequently, you will have a, so for example, uh, pain in a palliative care population, you will routinely screen the person for pain, but that doesn't happen with delirium generally, although in some settings it's becoming more common that there's routine processes to look out for delirium. The other reason is that we don't get taught a lot about delirium in undergraduate education. So often health professionals will tend to start learning about delirium, I think, and I don't know this is for a fact, but it seems to be about mid-career where you start to recognise this sort of um, something, you know, what is this thing that we're seeing in our patients? Um, but that, you know, that, so that's sort of often years after you've been looking after people and really not being able to make head nor tail of what's going on for people when they become delirious. So I think that's the main reasons why we don't recognise it. So I would say to any 
nurse or anyone caring for patients, particularly in higher risk areas, that they know what the diagnostic criteria are. But even if you're not a doctor, it's still really important that the whole team knows what that is because you need everyone to be on the same page with understanding what's going on. What can happen to someone experiencing delirium if it is left untreated? Well, I suppose delirium, even if it resolves, results in poorer outcomes for patients. So at the time that a person is delirious, they will be... um, their function, their, their thinking, their physical function declines. They often become quite drowsy. They're often quite frightened because if they have, they don't know what's going on with their thinking. They'll, people will often know that there's something wrong, but they can't necessarily express it well verbally or they um, feel that they're going crazy. A lot of people think, am I getting dementia? Um, it comes on quite suddenly and they're often frightened as well because of the delusional thinking or the hallucinations that often happen. And so the people, patients may often be seeing things um, that make them very, very frightened or thinking things that make them very frightened and then but they're not able to express that clearly so it often is expressed in fear or anxiety, agitation, aggression. So in the delirium itself, it's just incredibly distressing. And even a patient who seems quite quiet can be very distressed without us realising it because they're keeping all of this to themselves, either because they can't communicate it or they are frightened of communicating it to others. But if even if having delirium for a day or two, that then resolves, that a patient who has delirium does a lot worse in the longer term, in the shorter term and in the longer term, than a patient with the same condition, same age, same sort of baseline, who doesn't have delirium. So if you have a delirium in hospital, you're more likely to fall. You're more likely to get a pressure area. You're you're more likely to stay in hospital longer, more likely to be admitted to a nursing home and not be able to go home, and you are actually more likely to die. So it increases risk of mortality in patients and there's also some evidence coming out that it will um, there's an association or a link between having a delirium in older age and then later developing a a longer term cognitive impairment and it's a dementia-like illness but um, not quite the same but it has a lot of the same um, features as dementia And patients who've had delirium in hospital, say, for example, in intensive care setting, there's a lot of understanding now that these patients don't return to their prior level of function and what can we maybe be doing about this so that this doesn't happen to people when they um, discharge from hospital. So really the most important thing about delirium um, and preventing those things from happening to people is actually to prevent delirium occurring in the first place if possible. And we think that that's possible for about one-third of patients in hospital. There's some good research coming out about that. And how can health professionals best uh, treat or or prevent delirium? Well, the the most effective intervention is prevention. Of all the studies that have been done into delirium, that's coming through as the 
the most effective thing to do and the most effective way to prevent delirium is through caring for a person so that they get enough sleep, so that they get enough to eat and drink, so they get to move around as much as possible, so that they get to uh, exercise their thinking. And um, so in terms of conversation or reading or uh, board games, and that they can see and hear as well as possible. So if someone needs to wear their glasses or wear a hearing aid, that those things are available to people. So this is really quite amazing because of all the drug trials and of all the anaesthetic techniques and of all the other interventions, these strategies are the ones that actually keep patients safest and is actually fundamental care. And when you think about it, it makes sense because if every human being needs those things on a daily basis, we need to be able to eat enough, drink enough, sleep enough, walk around, um, converse and communicate and see and hear. So if someone is sick, you really need those things even more. But I think what tends to happen is that we tend to think that the more technical aspects of our care are the things that really make the difference to people and often that they, they do. But if those other fundamental aspects of maintaining the person in, a, in as good a state as possible aren't, if they're not, if they're overlooked, then the person can't really, it's hard for them to get better. So those are the things that prevent delirium. You said there are a few ways that, that delirium may present, uh, but mm. what, what are some signs health professionals can look out for? How can it best be detected? Sure. So it's understanding what the diagnostic criteria are. And the first, the cardinal feature of delirium is a disturbance to the person's usual level. Well, the disturbance to attention and awareness. They're a bit hard to unpack exactly what... They are, but I think attention to me is when you go into a patient's room and the, per- and the person looks at you in the eye and recognises your presence and can maintain conversation, maintain attention to you know, what, you know, what it is you're doing and saying. And, and um, so that is my way of telling that someone is attending to their surroundings. So if someone is, um, doesn't open their eyes when you come into the room, if they open their eyes and then close them again very quickly, if they drift off halfway through a conversation, if they change topic of conversation halfway through. Uh, So I think that's the first thing. The second thing, it is a change from baseline. So we have to know what people's usual level of functioning is and thinking is. And it happens quite, the changes happen quite quickly and and the changes tend to fluctuate. So um, and then the, the third criteria is that there's a change in thinking or cognition. That manifests as changes to speech, behaviour, uh, ability to physically uh, coordinate your movements, uh, memory, uh, orientation, things like that. And then also the perceptual disturbances like hallucinations and delusions and illusions are categorised as cognitive changes. And the fourth one criteria is that it's not related to dementia or coma. And the fifth criteria is that there's a, a physiological cause explaining the changes. But usually people with delirium will have several things going on physiologically. 
So we have to keep looking to sort of work out what's going on physically for the person and then correct those imbalances. So that is that correction of the recognising the delirium, finding the cause and, re- and rectifying the imbalance are the most are really important treatments. And then continuing on all those prevention strategies, which, are, which every person needs regardless of um, their state of illness or health. The other thing I think is that is how we recognise delirium better is actually by talking. It's great if we know the person, and often in residential aged care we will. We will really know that person well, which is one of the joys of working in aged care, that we get to know the people that we care for. But the, in hospital it's a little bit different uh, because often we don't know our patients and, and very well. The, the major way of recognising a change to someone's behaviour or thinking or awareness or attention is to communicate with the fa- with the patient but also with the family so the, or the people who know the person um, much better than we do. What needs to be done on a broader scale to improve the detection of delirium and, and outcomes for people who experience it? There's, there's some really great things happening in Australia in terms of in hospital care. There's a delirium care standard that will be coming out. So we be part of hospital accreditation in the next few years, and, and which means that there's a number of elements to that standard. And the first one is that we assess people's, uh, every person who comes in, older, particularly older people, um, their cognition on admission, that we screen for delirium in patients at risk, So, which means on a daily basis, which means that we use a tool and there's a number of tools that we can use that are quite quick and um, simple and they don't take too long. And we can, they're so simple we can memorise them. And examples of that is there's a 4AT. Um, there's also there's a, a number. The, the standard doesn't recommend particular tools but it recommends that they be brief and simple and that staff are trained in their use. The other things that we can do is to communicate with families to work as a team and so we can and so if, if someone picks up there's a change in a person that we all communicate together and investigate what's going on assess the person and put some plans in place uh, for them and the other thing is to avoid the use of medications that change as a psychotropic medication and one of the elements of the standard will be to reduce the use of antipsychotics because there's increasing evidence coming out that antipsychotics actually make delirium worse, whereas for many years they have been the first-line medication treatment for delirium. So there's some changing in our thinking going on around that. Um, the other thing is to plan for discharge, get the person back to their usual, um, uh, where they usually live as soon as possible. There's also some other evidence that people will do better at home than in hospital with regards to delirium. And I think there's some other elements of the standard. So that, I think that's, that's basically what that covers. And I, so, But if this is about having these things in place in our systems of care so that they're just part of our everyday work. But I think the, probably the main thing is for everyone to be aware of how common delirium is and how serious it is. It's not 
like when we shouldn't be using terms like pleasantly confused because it's not pleasant to be confused at all. It's not funny or uh, from the perspective of the person who's confused. And so we really need to be aware of delirium, understand what it is and, and that it's a real, really significant issue for people. And once we, once we know that, then we start seeing it much more clearly. So I think it's about better systems in place because when we, we learn from having the systems in place. But it is also about better knowledge. But we have just knowledge alone isn't enough to systematically change the way we care for people. Thank you for your time, Anne-Marie. Thank you, Dallas. That was um, good to be able to talk about delirium today.